Welcome back to Apologetics for Tweens. Tom Griffin here. Let's further our discussion about other religions and address the question, could Judaism be true? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for how you bless us all each day. I pray that everyone who needs to hear this message will find it and that it will lead them to the truth and a deep belief in you that they can maintain for life. Amen. There's a lot that could be studied and said about Judaism. First, let's clear up a couple basics. Judaism was the religion that the Israelites believed in and worshiped Yahweh as the one true God. It's interesting that after thousands of years of worship, when Jesus came to earth and was eventually resurrected, thousands upon thousands of Jewish priests, religious leaders, and regular people left that religion and became believers and followers of Jesus. They became Christians. Although non-Jewish people, such as Greeks and other nationalities, also converted to Christianity, Jesus himself was Jewish, and the vast majority of early Christians were also Jewish. There must have been quite some body of evidence for such a massive conversion to take place, and there was. The miracles the teachings, the very nature of Jesus and his personality, and of course his death and resurrection were sufficient for thousands to come to believe in him each day, either because they witnessed the events or because they believed family and friends who told them of the events. So that's the background of Judaism and early Christianity. We should clear up one other thing before further examination of Judaism. Judaism is the name of the religion, but it does not mean that everyone who follows it is Jewish or that all Jews who follow or that all Jews follow Judaism. In fact, to be Jewish has nothing to do any more with your religion, but rather that you were born of a Jewish mother. So if your mother was Jewish, you are Jewish. That has nothing to say about your religion. It's a nationality issue, not a religious issue. For example, I know many Jews who are atheists or even some that are Christians. Now, those Jews who are Christian, we usually call Messianic Jews. They believe that Jesus is the Messiah. To believe in Judaism, you mainly believe in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, as the basis of your religion. The rest of the Old Testament is likely included in your belief. As far as the New Testament goes, they may believe what they want to out of it, but definitely do not believe Jesus is the Messiah or that he was God, nor that he was resurrected, nor Lord and Savior, nor Son of God. And that is the main distinction from Christianity. Could a believer in Judaism be saved? This is a very interesting question. I would say yes for those who are prior to the existence of Jesus if they had faith in the one God, Yahweh. They were justified by faith, as Abraham was. If they held a belief in a creator God before that time even, perhaps they could also be saved, since Paul says in Romans 5.13, To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. So Paul is saying that prior to the law, they were not accountable. But he also says in Romans 1, 18 to 21, that everyone is accountable 
essentially because of creation. So before the law and before Jesus, if they recognized God from creation, perhaps that led to sufficiency for salvation. You can study this yourselves and decide. But as for after the time of Jesus, no, Scripture says that belief in Jesus as Lord and Savior is required for salvation. So although there is much overlap among Jews and Christians, we need to help them understand that Jesus is Lord and Savior so that they have an opportunity for salvation. There are some exceptional situations that require a combination of God's all-just and all-loving nature that we're going to discuss further in a future podcast about Molinism, which is God's middle knowledge. Anyway, with that understanding about Judaism, here are the key points and comments about Judaism that I would make. Basically, they deny that the New Testament is new revelation. They deny that Jesus is Messiah or that he's God, or that he was resurrected, or that he was Lord and Savior, or Son of Man. But in response to this, we can say that the New Testament has been confirmed historically reliable, even by critics, and we covered all of that in previous podcasts. There are a hundred fulfilled prophecies that fit the person of Jesus, and that's a miracle in itself. Then we have the resurrection which is the best explanation for the empty tomb. We have over 500 witnesses in, in a dozen different appearances of the resurrected Jesus who saw him. Let's discuss the most important scripture that shows that Jesus is the Messiah. Isaiah 53 perfectly describes the Messiah, and it can only be Jesus. It can't be Israel or David. We'll discuss this. And Psalm 110 and Mark 12, 35 to 37. Let's look at those more closely via some dialogue from my fictional apologetics Kindle book that I wrote called The Last Premise. You can still find it and read it, I think, for a few dollars online at Amazon. In a discussion with a Jewish friend, Jake, Christian apologist Paul Livingston explains the significance of the scriptures that I've just mentioned. Here's the dialogue straight out of the book. We can cut to the chase of the matter by studying three components, Psalm 110, Isaiah 53, and the evidence for the resurrection. Have you ever looked carefully at those, Jake? Well, yes, long ago growing up at least the scripture part anyway. It was a portion of my study, my scripture study, and I have some recollection of the two Old Testament passages. I believe it is the passages about the suffering servant, about Israel, right? As far as the resurrection, I've never really studied that. Jewish tradition is that the body was stolen by the disciples, although that seemed pretty convenient to me. Certainly, how they overpowered the guards made no sense to me at all. The disciples were a bunch of pansies. Never understood why they were chosen, either. Seems like poor choices. And Paul said, We need to review it all again, Jake. When you read the Old Testament passages carefully, you'll see that it points to the Messiah. It has been controversial, but it's quite critical 
to decide to whom the verses refer, particularly Isaiah 53. And after studying it, you may come to the conclusion that others have, and many Messianic Jews, that Jesus is actually who is being described. As far as the resurrection, that needs more examination as well. Let's take a look at it all together. Paul and Jake then spent the next couple hours in review and discussion of the passages. Paul was excited for the opportunity to test his knowledge and to clarify for his dear friend Jake after all the years. He always believed in second chances for everyone, and now here was one right in front of him. It made Paul's life and work feel meaningful and gave him renewed enthusiasm for evangelism. Paul, I'm a little stunned at some of this information I never knew before and the different perspectives you have. In retrospect, it feels now more like my rabbis were quite biased. Everyone has bias, Jake. It comes from your worldview. I respect their assessments, but the truth is the most important discovery to make. It's critical that one reviews and understands the facts before a decision is made. How else can you determine what is true? What if you spent your whole life believing something that wasn't true? Well, that would be terrible, Jake said. I'm wondering now if that is what I have been doing. Paul said, let's summarize. In Psalm 110, David says that the Lord declared to my Lord. Now, this is interesting because clearly there's a second Lord here. That Lord is Jesus. Just look at Mark 12, 35 to 37. Jesus makes reference to the Palms passage as an inference that he is the Messiah. He does not deny the Messiah is the son of David, but expands further messianic message that the Messiah, although David's son, is his superior. And the claim that these Psalms are about David is clearly baseless as it is written by him, not about him just as Psalm 18 was. Yes, I see your point, Jake said. It does make sense to me. And Paul said, as for Isaiah 53, to simplify, as with the other servant songs, it sometimes speaks of Israel, but sometimes not. Even within Isaiah 53, the claims that this is entirely about Israel cannot stand as some passages use the singular and not plural in their descriptions. So in those cases, it refers to an individual, not the whole people together. Beyond that, there are other serious problems with the idea the whole chapter is about Israel, including the servant is an innocent and guiltless sufferer, which cannot be Israel, but it clearly does fit Jesus. The servant suffer silently and willingly, which again does not fit the people of Israel, but it does fit Jesus. The servant suffers, dies, and rises again to atone for his people's sins. But the suffering of Israel cannot atone for the sins of the world. However, Jesus' suffering does. The sufferer was punished for the transgression of my people. So how could he be Israel? The servant dies and is buried, which fit, fits Jesus' fate, but hardly that of Israel. And it does not denote Isaiah either, as some say, 
because Isaiah himself states he was a sinful man of unclean lips. Yet the passage indicates this individual is sinless, nor does it fit any other person except Jesus. Finally, the earliest rabbinic tradition is that the passage was messianic. Only later did some take a more liberal view and deny the passage was messianic, but there was no valid reason to do so. Well, I hope you enjoyed that little snippet of dialogue from my Kindle book. It's not the most interesting passages and in story in it, but it serves our purpose. In fact, Isaiah 53 and the Psalm passage are so compelling, if you have an open mind, that one of my professors in seminary converted from Judaism to Christianity mainly because of that passage, at least initially. He endured much humiliation also from his family because he came, because he came from an entire family of rabbis for generations. They were unable to explain those passages or refute that they were the Messiah and that Jesus does fit the descriptions. My professor then became a Christian, at the same time became an outcast of his, from his family, but he was willing to endure it because he had found the truth. One last point about Judaism and Christianity. How do you explain the growth of Christianity if Jesus was not resurrected? Enough said. Take care and be safe, my friends.